Hello and welcome to True Crime People and Places, the podcast where we explore the world of true crime from an academic and personal perspective. I'm Linda Sage, a criminal psychologist with over four decades of experience working with some of the most dangerous individuals in the world. This is a fairly new podcast and we are developing the systems and growing our audience. So we appreciate your support and feedback. This podcast may contain discussions of violence, murder, sexual assault and other topics related to true crime. Listener discretion is advised. If you are sensitive to these topics, please be aware that this podcast may be triggering you. If at any time you feel overwhelmed or distressed, please take a break and seek support from a mental health professional or support organisation. Welcome back to this uh, special edition uh, because my guest today is an American, well, she's actually an American, she's actually in America, so we're going across the pond, which we can do these days so easily on uh, the uh, communications that we've got. So, Catherine Whiteley, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Linda. It's great to be here. And actually, as you said, I live in the United States, but I'm an Aussie, originally from Australia now, and I'm Less to have dual citizenship. So I've been in the you know, United States now for almost 17 years and teaching as a college professor in central Pennsylvania, but also working very closely with women who commit violent crimes around the country. But it's great to be here. And it's, it's amazing because obviously we've had conversations before and we have so much there in common but obviously the judicial service and the juries and the prisons are so different so you know maybe that's a, a great place to actually kick off you know sort of give us a little bit about your, your history uh, I know we could talk about hours just about that so we'll be... <laughs> and again you just hurt me here a little bit because I could just I love what I do like many people when you find something you love doing it's very hard to uh, to stop sharing so I just a little background and just said, and then we can talk further. Um, so for nearly two decades now, from Australia, where I originally started teaching and going into the Australian criminal justice system or the women's maximum security prisons in Australia, that's what all began for me with a small cohort in Victoria, Australia. Then fast forward to all these years later, my goal was always to broaden my horizons, um, learn more about the women that are incarcerated for ballot crimes, but beyond Australia. And I've been very blessed now to have landed in a wonderful part of the world and have access, shall we say, um, to many different state prisons that house women here in the United States. But beyond that, whilst I've been here, Linda, um, again, um, you can't hold me down, literally. So I've had the opportunity to go back and forth to Dublin in Ireland and interview women there, a small cohort of women there that are incarcerated for a violent crime. Um, I specifically focus on women that commit murder, homicide slash manslaughter. And again, it depends on what country we're referring to and their judicial system. Um, but I also, I'm very much um, key to understanding the pathway of women from a young age 
through to where they are today, sharing that incarceration experience. But I think what's interesting you touched on there, because there are systems like Australia, uh, Britain, um, Ireland, of course, and uh, the United States, when we talk about women that commit a violent crime such as murder, we then also talk about the sentencing. Now, as you understand well and truly, the sentencing of what represents life in one country, particularly here in the United States, it varies to the length of sentence a life sentence may be in Britain, Australia, New Zealand, etc. So, you know, it's, it's really important we take that into consideration. When I go in and sit uh, with women one-on-one, I always do this individual um, interviews. I'll go back once, twice at least. Um, what I try to do is hear from them, as I said, their, their childhood, their youth, to where they are today. But incorporated in the conversation is the criminal justice systems, the sentencing, and also the correctional realm. So big picture. It, it, it is huge. And I think, you know, perhaps for a lot of people listening, especially uh, in the States, because you are such a huge country, Australia as well, but compared to what you think of as, as Britain. But we have different systems because obviously Dublin is in Southern Ireland, so it's not under Britain at all. Uh, but our system is for England and Wales because Northern Ireland has a different system and Scotland has a completely different system. So when we're talking about judicial, just in our area, there's a lot of differences. And I know with you in the States, each state can vary as well. So although we're sort of talking about a, a big picture here, it can be very individualistic to the area, to the, the system, and all sorts of and, and prisons as well. I mean, you know, like in in England previously, we didn't have maximum security like your you have for, for uh, prisons. That because here we have the A, B, C, D categories. Yes. Um, yes. That is male. Females, because we had so few female prisoners, they were never categorised. But now there are. So there's about three major prisons that uh, females are, are housed in, especially violent females and long-term ones. I mean, in our history so far, we've only had three women on full-life tariffs. So I'm sure that's very different from, from where you are in the States. So just a bit of a... Uh, an idea there that you know um we're talking about sort of specific areas for those mm-hmm. people that aren't involved in the system because it is complicated it, it is you know linda thank you for sharing that because again i even even as a college professor i share with students um what happens here in pennsylvania can differ to some degree in another state here in the United States. That's interesting. You know, um, sometimes I can share this openly. Sometimes as I've traveled around the United States, I hear the feedback from people that work in different different positions, that work in women's um, institutions. And I'm talking about state prisons. I'm not talking about what many refer to here as a county jail, which is probably like a remand center in Australia, and I'm not sure about Britain. So it's that waiting place. But in these state prisons, these maximum security prisons, um, I often hear, you know, the, the talk around the country is that many of the people, not many, but a larger percentage, would prefer to work with men than they would with women here. So, and 
we have several, you know, couple thousand, you know, um, in different around the country here when it comes to incarceration of women in different state prisons. So it's it's interesting, isn't it? You know. Yeah, it's interesting what you said about your your county jails. We don't have anything like that. Our remands are remanded to our prison system. So yes. obviously we have the young uh, young offenders and because our criminal age now is, is 10 years old, so we have like secure children's homes and that that work up with, with the age. So our prisons are 18, 18 plus usually or you know, depends or 21 plus. But we don't have like your, you know, waiting to go to trial. They go straight into a, a main a mainstream prison. And that's interesting too for the listeners is that um, here in the United States, um, when they are, as I said, we have the county jail, which which someone may uh, stay in for at least a year, two years. Usually after two years, they're either going, as we would say, upstate to a state prison, which is where I work with the women, um, or they're going to be released, etc. But I think what's important here too is, is that Again, we don't understand that, you know, there are young women, young girls, uh, youth or young adults being incarcerated in our prison systems here in the United States at 14, at 15 and 16, and they are serving a life sentence, which can be that 25 to 30, 35 years. So think about that as a 16-year-old. Uh, and, and as I said, there's time for this. We've got so much to discuss, Linda, but think about that. So that is, a, that is one cohort of young women that I get to engage with. I research, but I like to say I engage. And that's something when I've talked about is the work that I do. I've never been for nearly two decades going into a prison environment, researching, talking to some a woman, individual, one-on-one, and then literally within months, weeks later, bye-bye, don't, I don't want to see you anymore. I never, I try never to sever the the tie that I have with many of the women. And, and I have been, and I've associated with a couple hundred women, written about over 100 women incarcerated for murder. You know, the worst of the worst crimes, as many would, would agree. But I always have the difference, I think, with myself, other than Linda, this international comparative, because I'm one of the very few feminist criminologists that do this, and I've been blessed to be able to travel around the globe to do this, um, it, it's just not severing the ties with them like uh, it was this year. Um, and previously, I've, when I've visited Dublin, I've gone back to see the, see the women there. So I continue to, um, that's, that's my point of difference, I think, is that I continue to correspond with the women the best that they feel they want to and I can uh, without leaving them abandoned. And that's a big thing they talk about, being abandoned by researchers and medical clinicians, et cetera. So yeah. just want to share that as well. And and even the, just the turnover of staff in, in the prisons and things like this, even if they get, a, a, I don't know if in the States if they have them, but here we have a personal officer. So if an officer's working with X amount of, of prisoners as their one-to-one link, that person goes and all of a sudden they're back and the person coming in, they've got to repeat all of their things again. And yes, it gets frustrating because if they're there a long time and they've had to do this 20 or 30 times, you know, you're knowing yourself that you'd be a bit sick. I do. And, you know, that's something, uh, Linda, in my writing and the women share. Basically, I always used to say, and I still say this, I'm like the, I'm, I'm the, um, what is it? I'm the paper, you know, I'm the one that writes for these women, but that's what they share. It's their voices that I, that I allow in my work. And you're right, the abandonment, not just of family and friends around them, but also someone, if the correctional officers 
or it could be caseworkers or clinicians, psychologists uh, that, that come and go uh, because it is um, a high turnover out, uh, shall we say, is a loose term. Uh, and the women do, young and old, they do become, shall we say, more often attached because it comes back into, you know this more than anyone, it's like who do we trust? Who do we trust? We're going to be here for 5, 10, 15, 30 years or maybe never be released. So when I start to trust someone that I think I can feel a little bit more confident about, you know, or in confidence, and then, yes, exactly, from, as I said, caseworkers, from, you know, officers, through to anyone that works closely with the women, it is an abandonment. And women feel that more so than males. Now, I want to share something else, and I, I wonder if it's like this in, in um, Britain. Um, here in the United States, it's very interesting when I go to volunteer. So I also do volunteer work too. So I'll go and visit some of these women that maybe don't want to be in my research, but I've built a, a really good rapport with them. So I'll go back and forth and travel to this particular prison here. And it's an eye-opener, and it never changes, Linda. When you see the amount in a women's uh, waiting room, visitor room, all the aunts, the grandmas, the, you know, the mums, the dads, whatever, visiting, uh, why do I say dads? The mums, the aunts, the females, shall we say, visiting the women. You walk into a male's maximum or high or medium security prison, go to the visitor section there, there are women 24-7. Whereas with uh, the women here, rarely are you seeing the men, are you seeing the males that come? And this is another part, and I'm just generalizing this because it's more in-depth than this, but that's part of that abandonment that the women feel. But they're here for the men that are incarcerated, but where are the men years later for us? You know what I mean? It's, it's fascinating, but that's part of the story that the women, the longer they're in, which I work with, that's what they, they share as part of their life path whilst they're incarcerated for violent crime. Yeah, because they, they lose contact with so many people over the time and they can't get that contact back because they've got no way of making new contacts. Well, that's true too. And, and there's always that mentality that we build prisoners, uh, prisons I should say, but we're in a very isolated, and there's many reasons why, but in isolated areas. And you find some of the families or friends, loved ones, particularly when it comes to women, uh, you know, it could be two or three hours and, and sometimes they can't afford or can't get there when it comes to transport. And it's so interesting, you know, as I said, what we talk about and to understand the women that commit, and this is all part of understanding these women that commit these violent crimes. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we've talked an awful lot about the basics and obviously over time you see a lot of characteristics perhaps that repeat themselves uh, within this. You know, is there some things that, you know, sort of starting out that maybe uh, raising red flags and identifying early could actually sort of stem the flow? Well, you know what, when we, when we talk about those things and you're right, we're running out of time, but the typologies, I always try to to learn a little bit about their background or the typology of the, of the woman. And when we talk about characteristics, there's always woven into the woman that's committed a violent crime. There's always similarities. We understand that, that that's a biological norm. However, what we're finding, though, depending on their age, and I'm just going to, to share this very briefly, is that the characteristics or, or the traits of someone younger, say a young woman or young girl that's 14, 15, 16, through to about 19, 20, 
if she has here in the United States, especially if she has committed a violent crime, her, it's often to do with, or her, her um, victim, it's often a sibling or a parent, and usually it's a mother, biological mother. Whereas the older, shall we say, when we look at a similar, maybe, when I say trait, but characteristic when it comes to the victim, a lot of the women older than that, you know, it could be a loved one, it could be their own children, um, in, you know, in filicide, infanticide, etc. We can talk a lot about that later on. But the, the younger demographic, often you'll find, you know, the, the traits are that they commit the crime, it's usually someone very close to them. We are seeing the increase when it comes to a mother, a parent, especially a mum. And, and the rationale there is usually, um, we can use the word or the term, there's a, a mental health challenge issue there. But overarching, it's about, sometimes it's about I didn't get my own way. I wanted this and mum wouldn't let me do that. Or mum doesn't understand. So I'm seeing a lot of the mother-daughter here for the younger women that are going through our criminal justice system. Um, very, very different. And it really is, it's almost a bit like, what's about me? What am I not getting? And I'm not, you know, I can't say that's right or wrong, but that's usually a, a, a common woven trait with the younger women, that it's someone they love, but more specifically, mum or, or the caretaker. You know, it could be an aunt or grandmother that's read them. It's ironic, isn't it? Because we don't know where dad is, but we're, you know, that mum's the cause of this, isn't it? And, the, and we take that out on the loved one. Yeah, interesting. And, and, uh, it's, it's interesting as well to see if... Um, are those sort of traits with the younger males that are, are kidding? Or are like, I mean, here we have a big disparity between most females are killed within a home or um, a domestic environment, whereas males are more likely to be killed uh, outside. Absolutely. And, and, and again, when I, 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 and I try to always just be worried about breaking it down because I don't like to you know to universalize all females of all ages and they do the same thing. They don't. I think it's very interesting when you talk about, and it's very true we have that this here is that a lot of the actual, the crime itself, when it comes to uh, women in general, it's often in that household or an environment that they're very familiar with. And often it can, it, it often is a loved one or someone that had a relationship with, or it could be someone that they know and they're very close to. Um, and in another conversation, we can talk about like, you know, IPV or, you know, domestic violence. But also, I think it's important to not to forget about, you know, as I said, infanticide or patricide or matricide, you know, the killing of, of the parents as well. So, yeah, we, we, we've got a lot to uncover, Miss Elinda. That's all I can say. <laughs> well, like we knew, we knew Thomas was going to run away with us. We could, we, I'm yes. sure we could do podcasts that, uh, for hours and hours. So what we're going to do, which I'm really uh, thrilled that Catherine's agreed to, that we're going to be doing a series and looking at this more in depth. And so uh, if you've got any questions, of course, get in touch with us. We're both uh, available on online and uh, we're going to carry on with this and we can uh, look at it a little bit more in, in depth. We've just opened up today probably a big can of worms <laughs> <laughs> we certainly have and that's true Linda, and I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity because it is it really is we're just it's more like this introduction and and what we've yet to, to do uh, or uncover because it is it's a huge area and one and I will say this before we go this small cohort of women that commit violent crimes 
were approximately 10 to 11% of the overall, shall we say, um, incarcerated violent crime population. And, and it's really important because we, we do neglect them. Yeah. We do neglect them. And, and ours is a small number too uh, compared to, to the male uh, prison population, but they are something, as I said from the beginning, we, are, we, we didn't have any categorisation within the women, but because times are changing and because uh, violent perpetrators are getting younger, that now we do. So again, it's perhaps that's something to look at as well. So, oh, so many things to talk about. <laughs> Oh, it's, it, is, it has been delightful talking to you. And as I said, when you're passionate about some, something, it's very hard to stop, isn't it, Linda? <laughs> so thank you for everybody joining us today. Don't forget, uh, if you have uh, been affected by any of these issues and you are triggered, then please do go and uh, talk to somebody, get yourself some support. And uh, we're always here. But uh, if you get in contact, we'd love to have a chat to you as well. So for today, thank you very much. And look forward to having been back with uh, Catherine next month. So we're going to thank you with this. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to True Crime People and Places. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. And if you have any suggestions for future topics, please let us know. See you next time.